Welcome back to another exciting episode of The Brew Deck. My name is Grant Lawrence, and I'll be filling in for your usual host, Toby Tucker. We've got another information-packed episode for you today, talking about all things Pilsner Malt. Pilsner Malts have gained in popularity over the past three years, and we wanted to dive into what makes a great Pilsner Malt and explore a couple different philosophies and how to best brew them. Our show today will begin with a maltster's perspective via Tyler Skulls. Tyler has 13 years experience as a maltster and has worked for three different malting operations in three different countries, including Canada, the UK, and most recently Great Western Malting in Washington State. After we get the maltster's perspective, we wanted to get some different Pilsner beer brewing philosophies. We have five different brewers on the show today, each known for their exceptional Pilsner beers, but enough for me. Let's get into our interview with Tyler. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Would you say that American craft brewers are using Pilsner malt more as a base malt over the past few years than in the past? I think, you know, the answer is absolutely yes. Lagers in general have become more and more popular following a very long dominance of IPAs over the past decade. I feel like the shift is linked to a couple of things here. Consumers are looking for something different than an IPA or pale ale. I think that, you know, lots of consumers are conscious of alcohol content and they're looking for something a little bit lighter and pilsners and lagers tend to carry that along with it. And the consumer is also looking for uh, beer um, that pop shine in. This is showcasing the opportunity, even if pilsner malt is used in an IPA or pale ale, it's becoming more popular because everybody wants to taste the hops and, uh, you know, speak to any brewer. They'll tell you that the consumer is way behind the trend of themselves. You know, at the end of a shift, what does a brewer typically grab? A light, refreshing lager. Pretty insane. You know, it's, it's taken a while for consumers to get there. But, you know, shift beer is lagers and pilsners and something light and refreshing. So, you know, you could say that consumers are behind uh, a little wee bit. And you could also say that, you know, hops are the dominant characteristic that consumers are after nowadays and less malt forward character in, in your traditional pale ale or IPA. That's definitely what we're seeing here on the sales end as well. You know, it's a, it's a bit tragic in a way. People are moving away from using a, a pale ale malt as a base and two row even for that matter. And people are really going towards a pills malt from a maltster's perspective from your side. And then, you know, it would make it would follow right that from my end, the sales end, we would see the same thing. But it sounds like it's not just uh, regional is what I'm getting at. You know, here in Texas, I see it a lot. And I thought it was mostly due to our hot climate, but that's not even the case, right? It's happening kind of all over the U.S. at this point. Yeah, I mean, I live in Portland, Oregon. And every single time that I go to a brewery, I'll see at least, you know, one or two bloggers or pilsners or lighter color pale ales or IPAs that are on their menu. And that's what I gravitate towards. So it's happening all over the place. I feel like hotter climates led the charge in general, but everyone's catching up now. So as a maltster, can you go through and tell us in the malt house, what differentiates a Pilsner malt from a two-row malt? Can you walk us through that all the way from raw barley to actually, you know, some of the specs and things you look for when you're malting it? Absolutely. Yeah, it is substantially different process. It does start with procurement. Pilsner malts target a premium barley crop. That's the first point I have to make. It's typically lower in protein. It typically has higher plumps, which is your 764s and 664 sizings on a pan. And it's oftentimes more consistent kernel to kernel. So maltsters are looking for that premium barley to go into pilsners before they even begin the malting process. Once started, you know, the malting process begins in steeping. And, you know, maltsters 
tend to put on their kid gloves when it comes to malting Pilsner malts because you know they want to treat it with the utmost care and ensure that they control the modification throughout the entire process. So that starts with steeping, typically targeting anywhere from 42 to 44% moisture at cast out versus your typical two row or pale high color at you know 45 plus moisture content. So we're starting with less moisture to reduce modification. We then drop it into a germination bed and we control temperatures, control airflows, apply maybe a little bit less water, all the while controlling modification again. You know, keeping things low and slow, as they call it in the malting world. You know, we want to modify it nice and low and slow, make sure it makes it all the way to final modification, but at the same time, control some of the specifications that a brewer is after. Sounds like all of these things can ultimately influence the color. And as we all know, as a brewer, once you go past a certain color with Pilsner malt, it's no longer a Pilsner malt, no matter what the other specs are, right? So you, you really have to worry about that, you know, and that comes at the end of the process, right? Yeah, I mean, kilning controls a fair chunk of that color generation, temperatures and, and duration of kilning. However, you, you got to set the baseline with modification because that Maillard reaction occurs based on how much the kernel is modified before it hits that kilning vessel. It's not just about color either. You mentioned color, and that's what lots of people tend to focus on with Pilsner malts. It's sure. also about the rest of the analysis. You know, fans are typically lower. You know, modification in general, STTs are lower. DP and alpha diastatic enzymes are oftentimes higher. Beta-glucan tends to ride a little higher. Viscosity tends to ride a little higher. All of those things, they point to one thing. It's less modification of the grain, less breakdown of the cell wall, less breakdown of the protein, proteins that are present in the kernel itself at procurement, and you know, gentler processing and kilning, keeping enzymes intact. Yeah, just uh, more of uh, walking a tightrope, you could say, of balancing those things out and not going too much. I mean, it sounds like it's on kind of the knife's edge of some of the specs. Much more challenging to malt, I guess you could say. Yeah, it is. And maltsters tend to steer away you know, as much as they can from under-modifying grains because under-modified malts carry a lot more problematic specifications for brewers than over-modified malts. So if a maltster had to lean on a specific modification profile for a standard malt, it would lean on the higher side of modification because brewers are most significantly impacted in the mashing, loudering process by beta-glucan and viscosity. So, you know, riding the knife's edge on the bottom end of the spec, ensuring that beta-glucan is broken down enough and viscosities are low enough, all the while trying to produce that lower color is quite difficult to do. And hence why Pilsner malts carry a premium to them. You mentioned under-modified malts. You know, I can speak from a professional brewer standpoint that there's a lot of, I, I would call it rose-colored glasses or kind of this like romantic look at under-modified malts that require a step mash and kind of brewing beers the 1800s way. Can you tell me from a maltster's perspective how you see under-modified malts? You talk about undermodified malts and Pilsner malts in general, and you can classify Pilsner malts in kind of two categories. A fairly well-modified Pilsner malt, typically present in North America, and slightly undermodified or lower modification malt out of greater Europe, European-style Pilsner malts. And that's the way I classify them is in those two buckets. There is a movement happening within North America to drive maltsters to produce a slightly lower modified Pilsner malt within North America. But you got to remember, you're relying pretty heavily on the barley and the 
quality of the barley going into the process in order to do that. So if you don't choose the right barley when producing an undermodified malt, you are going to run into problems and throw beta-glucans in viscosity, higher viscosity. So you look at it, you know, you say everybody's really excited when someone's doing a decoction mash or a step mash. This is, like you said, the rose-colored glasses. Everybody's really stoked about old-school practices. But in actual fact, maltsters back in the day, they didn't have the technology to do what we do, do today. And because of that, brewers had to do decoction mashes. So think about it this way, you know, the decoction mash was to actually fix the mishaps and lack of technology and lack of modification that a maltster could achieve back in the day. In a maltster's malt house or maltings years and years and years ago, steeping was done in a vat or, or, a, or a tub of water with no aeration, no temp mm. control, no airflow, no overflows. They didn't baby the malt like we do nowadays. Not to mention the barley varieties were probably high in protein. Farmers didn't have proper practices to get the protein content down. They were probably applying, you know, some additional nitrogen-based fertilizers to get them to grow and yield. And it's a combo effect of maltsters not having technology and barley varieties being very, very sluggish and almost dormant coming out of the ground that really caused undermodified malts to become prevalent. And how did the brewer react to that? It was with decoction mashing. So it's actually fixing a mistake of a maltster back in the day, whereas nowadays, you know, decoction mashing is the golden child, you know, eyes light up when you see a decoction mashed, you know, lager, pilsner or dunkel or alt beer that's sitting on the menu. Yeah, it's definitely cool to think about. But yeah, like you're saying, it wasn't really by choice uh, that they were doing those things back in the day. It was more work for them. Once you describe it that way, it almost sounds like if, if they had had the choice back in the day, they would have wanted a more modern, fully modified pilsner to work with instead. Yeah, it would have been easier to work with. Keep in mind, there are some very, very cool things that come from under-modified or lower-modified Pilsner malts. They do carry a slightly more grassy, grainy character. They do have a little bit more mouthfeel because the viscosity of beta-glucan is a little higher. So the specifications drive some really cool, nuanced flavors in lagers. And you can call them traditional flavors because, you know, that's the way lagers tasted back in the day. So don't get me wrong, lower modified malts are excellent, excellent malts for creating pilsners and lagers. All I'm saying is maltsters had no control back in the day and that's why they produced it. It wasn't by choice. I guess that's really the the differentiation here is when somebody says under modified, what do they mean, right? Like you kind of have to double check with them. Are they just talking about a, uh, a European or like a Czech or a continental Europe style pills that is slightly under modified and kind of brings more of that flavor, but doesn't necessarily require a step mash? That balancing act, that's that knife's edge that maltsters have to skirt if they're producing an under modified or lower modification Pilsner malt. You're absolutely right. Very cool. So as we're moving towards that, can you walk us through uh, as a maltster kind of, and maybe you kind of have already, but can you talk to us really what the main differences you know about from your career of North American Pilsners, I guess, traditional North American Pilsners versus European, whether it's German or, or any of those continental European Pilsners? Yeah. So like mentioned earlier, European continental style Pilsner malts will typically be made with a slightly lower protein barley variety, first off. Geographically, they can produce barleys with lower protein content based on the uh, terroir, you know, growing conditions throughout the year in Europe. Second, you know, maltsters, because of that lower protein content, are able to target a slightly lower modification without causing too much concern with beta-glucan and viscosity. 
And third, you know, from a flavor standpoint, European style Pilsner malts will typically hold some maltier characters in some cases, but there's a balance between like that grassy, grainy character of a Pils malt and the malty character. Some lean more heavily on the malt character, some lean a little bit on a little bit more on the grassy kind of grainy character. And both of those flavor profiles are driven by modification, grassy, grainy being you know, lower modification, under modification, and malty being, you know, slightly higher modification and slightly more aggressive kilning practices. From a North American standpoint, you know, I mentioned that the stereotypical North American Pilsner being slightly more modified, so maybe a 45 ST, 44, 45 ST, and, you know, with that comes a little bit more flavor generation in the form of malty kind of character, But with this trend and with Pilsners making a comeback or finally becoming seen in the spotlight, one can assume that there are going to be malts out there that have lower modification, lower protein content, premium quality barley going into them. Um, They do exist now. And there's a lot of North American brewers nowadays that are finding out about those and swapping between European style Pils malts and North American style Pils malts with a lot of ease, like for like. So things are really changing here, and and it's our job as a maltster to stay ahead of the curve and get the malts that the brewers want in their hands. I certainly think you're the right person to talk to about that. You've you know really malted in in three different countries, and I know you spent some time working for uh, Baird's Malting in the UK. Can you tell me a, a little bit about how Pilsner is is perceived there, and is there like a UK take on it, at least in terms of popularity, or could you speak to anything like that? Well, when I was there, you know, I have to say that the Pilsner lager scene in the craft sector of the industry wasn't really necessarily happening yet. I was in early stages of craft kind of booming in the greater London area. I was just living about 45 minutes north of London in a small place called Colchester, right by Malthouse in Whittam. So, you know, I didn't experience as much loggers and, and pilsners as I would have liked to, but gauging by the language that I'm seeing in podcasts like this and articles in the paper nowadays and, and talking to some of my friends that I keep in contact with in the UK, they are becoming far more popular. You know, they're following the same kind of trends just lagged behind as the US. So I could see in the next five years, lager malts, pilsner malts becoming far more popular in the UK than they are even now and following suit to the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been hearing about as well. You know, there's a pretty proud culture around pale ale malts and drinking ales in in the U.K. And from what I hear, kind of the younger nightlife seeking uh, folks are kind of gravitating more towards lagers lately. Yeah. And you got to remember that a pale ale or an IPA in the U.K., it typically isn't that high in alcohol content in the first place. Sure, it's malty and full-bodied and delicious, but it ranges from like a 4-6% alcohol content to maybe a 5-8. So even the bigger, bolder beers in the UK are still subdued in an average pub. You know, Country Malt Group, we have quite a wide range of different Pilsner malts. And I know that you are uh, you're a home brewer. Uh, you, have, you do a lot of home brewing on the side. And, you know, from your experience malting background and, and home brewing, are there any Pils malts that you've come across that you think are really interesting that maybe people haven't heard about that they should try out? Yeah, I mean, it all depends on what I'm brewing, really. If I'm looking for a blank slate, Superior Pils does the trick wonderfully. Some of the best beers that I've ever had are made with Superior Pils. If I'm looking for a little bit more malt character from a North American Pils malt, I might lean towards something like a Pure Idaho. Just a little bit more balance to it. 
a little bit more malt kind of character. If I were to try and make an authentic Czech or German style pills or lager, you know, I would I would lean on authentic malts in some cases in a homebrew world. I mean, it, it all works. And uh, Heidelberg comes to mind. I really like the flavor profile of Heidelberg malt. I think it's got excellent kind of character to it. I think they do a great job modifying it, you know, slightly lower modification on that, you know, traditional German style pills malt. So those are the three kind of categories I class pills malts in. And my own experience, you know, makes me veer one way or the other, depending on the beer I'm trying to create. Yeah, I would I would echo that sentiment as well. Like I really like the pure Idaho. It's got that even though it's a it's a North American pills, it's got that German flavor to it where it's it's very modified, but it's still got a, a bold flavor. And then the Heidelberg is I've used that a few times, too. It, it's even like lighter. It's very light in color and just a little bit more delicate, just a little bit less bold. And I think a lot of like you mentioned, a lot of people don't pick up on the Heidelberg just because it doesn't have Pilsner in the name, but it's kind of just the lighter, more delicate Pilsner malt from Best Balls. Yeah, I would completely agree with you, Grant. Absolutely. Cool. Well, you know, being in the uh, Portland, Oregon area these days, you have quite the range of fantastic craft beers, fantastic craft Pilsners up there. And I always ask this on the podcast, what is your go-to Pilsner beer? I've got quite a few of them, actually. But my go-tos, if I had to pick, you know, I'll call it three Pilsners that I t- tend to really lean on. One of them, not so much a Pilsner, more along the lines of a Schwartz beer. I would lean pretty heavily on Pearl Haggard from Ex Novo. I love that beer to death. It's, it's a wonderful That is a great name. Wonderful <laughs> beer. The Schwartz beer that I just lean on time and time again, Hidden Hand from Wayfinder is just spectacular. I mean, I think it's one of one of the few Schwartz beers, you know, in Portland that I just find so well balanced and so well done. And not to mention, and finally, not leaving it behind, more a seasonal, but not only do I like the name because I'm Canadian and I know a little bit about hockey, but I just <laughs> I, I love what they do with it. Yarmir Lager from Breakside, that's quite the quite the beer, quite the name, Czech-style Pils beer that, that Breakside does and just does a fantastic job balancing the characters within it. So those are my three, Pearl Haggard, Ex Novo, Hidden Hand, Wayfinder, and Yarmir Lager from Breakside. And they all sound good. I mean, I, I know all of those breweries. I know know their reputation, so I'm sure those are great. Of course, none of those make it down here to, uh, to Texas, but next time I'm up there, I will for sure seek those out. That sounds good. I'm getting thirsty now just hearing about that. Schwartz beer is like one of those styles that uh, just not many people make them. And when you find a really good one, it's like finding a hidden gem, right? It's, and, yeah. you know, the name is kind of just a name that I would think most beer drinkers here wouldn't immediately reach for. People just don't know what it is, so they don't order it. But definitely one of my favorites, underrated lager styles. Cool, man. This has been fun. Lots of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good having uh, pros like yourself on the show. Thanks again for coming on. Sweet. Thanks, Grant. Really appreciate it. Take care. My name is Kevin Ely. I'm with the Woolly Pig Farm Brewery in Fresno. Wait for it. Ohio, not California. We're in Appalachian Foothills in eastern central Ohio, so it's a little bit different locale. We're very rural. Our, actually, Fresno is a zip code. It's like 100 square miles. It's kind of funny. The first main question is, what one attribute do you look for in a Pilsner malt above all else and why? Well, I wouldn't say I search far and wide for Pilsner malts, but I do search pretty intensely for them. And anytime I've got one pops up that I'm 
interested in, I just order it and I brew with it. So on our system here, we have a five barrel dual kettle free vessel system with a dedicated louder ton. So the kettles are multi-purpose kind of work kettle and mash kettle, and it's all steam heated. So what I do is I, I brew a five or a 10 barrel batch of something just right out of the gate. So I've brewed with a lot of different Pilsner malts. And for me, what I'm looking for is a finished beer flavor profile that is clean and malty, but not so malty that it overpowers everything, especially in a Pilsner beer. I'm going to hijack the conversation slightly about Hellas because we do a lot of Hellas beers. And also the other thing I like to note is our, our Pilsner is actually a Keller Pils. All of our beers here are unfiltered lagers. That's all we do. So you could call them all Zwickel beers or all Keller beers. And we produce a lot of different yellow, fizzy, unfiltered lagers, basically. And for me, I'm trying to get, like I said, a, a flavor profile that has lots of good malt character, but is not too overwhelming. And so for us, like I said, the Hellas, we want a little bit more complexity in that. And in our Pilsner, we want to be very clean and, and let the hops kind of take over a bit more in that. And so with that being said, our Pilsner malts, we're oftentimes, I find them getting malts that are not super light. So if you lay them all out on the table and look at like the SRMs of everything, one thing I tend to find is that the malts tend to be on the darker side for a Pilsner malt, darker side being kind of pushing towards, you know, 1.8, 2.0, 2.1 SRM on that scale. And I think when you get really, really light, you can get some other flavors that are, are great. But again, your brewery, your brewing process and your yeast are going to have a huge impact on how that's expressed in the beer. And I can blather on a bit more about that, but I'll move on to the next question. <laughs> if you were stranded on a desert island and had to brew with only one Pilsner malt and one hop, what would it be and why? And it says to let the passion flow. Well, I'll try not to flood the microphone. For me, right now, the malt I am enjoying the very most is best malts, Pilsner malt. Not their light Heidelberg Pilsner, but just their straight Pilsner. And that malt is super versatile, and I really like how it's expressed in the Pilsner beer, like our Keller beer, and I also like how it's expressed in our Hellas, and it's a workhorse for me, and I love the flavor profile. I'm always searching for malts to basically displace that in my brewery, just because I love North American malts too. I tend to find them a little bit different in flavor profile. And if I were to talk about hops, the one hop I would go for is not really exciting, but I'd probably, it's a debate actually. It's between Haller Tower Tradition and Spalter Select. And so I really like Select as a very fine aroma profile, just solid tradition. Again, it's robust and it's a workhorse and it just, it comes through very nicely across the board. So I don't think I get tired of either of those two ingredients in my beers. And I'll move on to the next question, which is what Pilsner malt should brewers out there listening try that they may not have tried yet and why? I think there's a lot of new malting companies popping up and CMG does a great job at supplying a huge variety of malts, especially Pilsner based malts. And I have been very grateful for that. I started off all of my beers. I was using Brees Synergy Select because I really, I got a sample of it and I loved the aroma profile. I almost thought I was getting too much maltiness out of it. I thought it was it was fantastic. I've brewed with the uh, Ida Pills from Great Western, and that's a beautiful malt too. And now I'm I'm actually just got my first shipment of Epiphany malt, and I'm experimenting with their Hellas, and then soon to be their Pilsner malt, and then soon also to be their uh, Oktoberfest or their Fest beer malt. I tend to 
gravitate towards these European malts, but I am always searching for ones like I brew a lot with Origin Malt here. You know, it's an Ohio company and they sell Ohio grown barley. Right now it's Puffin, a variety barley, but they're starting to fold in a few other new varietals that uh, Eric over at Ohio State University Ag is pumping out some great varieties that farmers are starting to work with on a larger scale. You know, I think the growing region has a huge impact on that. So I think if for me, I would say, you know, experiment with some of your local suppliers. Is, and I'm, like I said, right now, I'm excited to try the Epiphany Malt out of uh, North Carolina. And I just say thanks for having me. It's been exciting to share my limited knowledge on Pilsner Malt. <laughs> I do enjoy brewing with a variety of Pilsner Malts often. And I am always searching for that flavor profile that's going to really frame the beers nicely to make a beer that you want to drink again and again. And that's that's my hope, to brew beer that we all love to drink. My name is Cody Ganyan, and I am the head brewer for West Brew out in Vista, California. Been working over here for about a year and a half now, doing a lot of pilot brews, just a lot of different things over here for the first start of it. What one attribute do you look for in a Pilsner Malt above all else? I was reading this question a lot, and I was trying to narrow it down between a few of them. There's a lot of different things that I look for in a Pilsner Malt, and they're all pretty, pretty important. I think the one that stands above the rest for me would have to be color. And I know it sounds kind of weird because you're just basically saying, hey, what shade of gold or light gold or, you know, what, which, which one is the difference? But I think for me, I am uh, in a world full of hazies right now. I really like to see that bright color shine through. And even in your hazies, too, you know, there is definitely a different kind of shade to each Pilsner malt if you're using it like that. And it can stand above the rest, especially, you know, I always think about it in the tasting rooms when you're looking at like a flight sheet and you see, hey, you know, well, at least it's different shades of gold. You can tell the distinctive differences and what you're kind of thinking in your brain of what you're going to be putting on there. So if you were stranded on a desert island and had to brew with only one Pilsner malt and one hop, what would it be? That one is tough. If I had to pick one, I think I said Idaho Pilsner and El Dorado. And then I just did a second one for fun. If I did another one, I would do Heidelberg Pilsner from Germany Best Malts and Motueka. Those are like my two interchangeable ones. I think they're both, you know, as far as malt profiles, one's definitely a little bit lighter in color. You're going to get a little bit more proteins in the other, but they're both very versatile. You can do smash beers, you can do lagers, you can do IPAs, you can do pretty much anything with all those. And I've done a lot of that stuff for sure in the brewery on the pilot system and then obviously now that we're on the bigger system our production system we've got to scale that up so it's been nice to see the the products turning out afterwards too so next time you're at our brewery in vista definitely definitely try our fresh batch of mosaic surfer that's our mosaic pale ale with mosaic waimea and wakatu we feature idaho pilsner and that one pretty heavy and also a little dash of heidelberg and then the same thing, uh, if you're looking for a traditional style German Pilsner, um, our West Brew Pils is 100% Heidelberg Pilsner. Uh, a little bit more on the West Coast side, so it's got a little bit more bite to it than your traditional style German Pilsner, but very tasty. I am T.L. Atkinson. I work for Foothills Brewing, and we are located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. What one attribute do you look for in a Pilsner malt above all else and why? 
for me, mainly the uh, the sweetness and the malt character is what I'm looking for in Pilsner. I mean, obviously, you know, extract, things like that are important. But to me, the main thing is the soft, malty sweetness that you get out of a, a quality Pilsner malt. It's a great canvas, obviously, for a uh, Bohemian-style Pilsner or anything of that nature. We use it for base malt in our Jade IPA, and we also use Pilsner malt for lots of one-off IPAs and other things like that. And it's actually even the base malt in our black IPA, which kind of seems counterintuitive, but it works. So if you were stranded on a desert island and had to brew with only one Pilsner malt and one hop, what would it be and why? Well, we would probably pick Superior Pilsner malt. We're very happy with that. We've been using it for Oh, I guess going on about 10 years now, and I've used it at previous stops in my brewing journey. It's a great malt. I mean, like I was saying, the things that I value, it, you know, it's got great extract. It's got a wonderful malt sweetness to it. Color's always spot on, all that kind of stuff. So that would be my base malt. And then my hop, I mean, with it, I guess being a desert island, that implies heat. So I would probably pick uh, Czech Saws hops and just stick with a nice bohemian style Pilsner to sip my days away while I'm waiting for somebody to come get me. <laughs> what Pilsner malt should brewers out there listening try that I think they may not have tried yet and why? For me personally, one of my favorites is Moravian Turo. It's kind of hard to find in the U.S., you know, it's becoming more and more available. But first time I was introduced to it, I was introduced to it by a uh, Slovak brewer, which is, you know, I think traditionally is Moravia. Anyway, he turned me on to it. He's a big lager brewer and brewed with it for a couple of years on and off. But it's uh, it's hard to find in North America. So got off of it. But it's just it's the epitome of the sweet, malty, just nice, beautiful velvety soft background that you're looking for in the Pilsner malt. So if you ever get a shot at some of that, I would highly recommend it. If anybody out there is ever in Winston-Salem, hit me up. I'm pretty easy to find. Just TL at foothillsbrewing.com and uh, we can slurp down a Torch Pilsner or a Jade IPA, both of which use the uh, Superior Pils as the base malt. So both of them are going to give you a good idea why we like it. So Thanks for your time, everybody, and cheers. All right. Hey, everybody. I am Kevin Davey, a brewer at Wayfinder Beer located in Portland, Oregon. And uh, one attribute that I look for in Pilsner Malt above all else is, I'm sure a lot of people have said this before, but malt is a very complex thing, and there is no one attribute that I look for above all else. Color matters. Extract does matter. But um, so does dimethyl sulfide uh, precursor matters. To be honest, the terroir of the malt really matters. We use a lot of different Pilsner malts at Wayfinder Beer, and we use them all for different reasons. <laughs> so I hope that that helps everybody. If I were stranded on a desert island and only had to brew with one Pilsner malt and one hop, it would be, now this is because we make Wayfinder held, it would be Barca Pilsner, and the hop would be Hertzbrucker. Because that's all I would make is just Wayfinder Hell and just drink Hellas all day all day long. So sorry about that. That's all we use. Uh, Pilsner Malt that I think people should try that they haven't tried yet is a domestic North American Pilsner Malt. Um, probably something made out of Copeland, maybe Canada Pils, 
maybe even the Ida Pills, I think that there's a lot of room there to make some very interesting local Pilsners. So anyway, next time you're at Wayfinder Beer, try one of our many Pilsners, CZAF or Party Time Pilsner or German Pilsner, or we have Tricorder 10 Degree Pilsner. We also make one called Glass Dolls Italian Pilsner or Terrifica Pilsner. We make a lot. So come on by and try Pilsners. I'll talk to you guys all soon. Well, that wraps it up for our podcast this week. I hope everyone listening learned something new about Pilsner Malts. If you want to connect, you can find us at www.countrymaltgroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to The Brew Deck on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any new episodes. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time.